let's see, we've done membership, we've had worship, we've had birthdays. But the most important thing is the Word of God. Amen? And that's where we're going right now into Isaiah chapter 53. The Lord impressed upon me a couple weeks ago or a while back to do a study on Isaiah 53 and the importance of it. This is the book that many of the the people of Israel reject. Many of the Jews reject this because they rejected Jesus. But this is a prophetic chapter. And what I love about it is when the New Testament fulfills the Old Testament. And some people still need evidence of who God is. Especially in today's world, uh, we're offered so many choices as how to get to heaven and how to live a good life and things like that. But we all know that there's only one God and one Savior and one faith and one baptism, one Holy Spirit. And there's one name whereby men and women and children and nations can be saved. And that's the name of Jesus. No matter what new theology or new doctrine comes about, no matter what fad would hit the churches or what would be going on, there's two things that we need to remember. Number one is, He is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jeremy touched on this on Wednesday. And the second thing is, no matter, you know, we live in a time of prophetic revelation. Uh, We believe in prophecy. But prophecy will always point to him being the Son of God. No new revelation. Don't listen to any new revelation that doesn't establish him as the Son of God, okay? Because many people see dreams and visions, but the most important thing is, who is the Savior? And that's our Lord Jesus Christ and none other. So, we're going to do a little class reading today. And you can look right up here. And Rebecca, no problem, Rebecca is back there. And we're going to read this in unison, okay? Because not everybody has the, the same uh, Bible, same version. But we're going to, we did this when I was in school, and we'll try it here, okay? All right, I'll start us off. Read up here, all right? I know some of you like the King James, but that's okay. This won't hurt you. <laughs> This is what it said. Let's begin. Who has believed our message? Stay together.
Amen. Is that powerful? Is that powerful or what? So what we're doing is we're going to go through this verse by verse. Last week we dealt with verse 1. And uh, Rebecca, if you could go back to just verse 1 in the New Living. And I want to give you a couple scriptures to go with this where Jesus quotes Isaiah or where different people quoted the book of Isaiah. And we need to remember this was written 500 years before the birth of Christ. Jesus said, I came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill all things. And Jesus always had, he looked to the prophetic to prove who he was. And so I think sometimes as Christians, we need to understand who he is too. Okay. Verse one says, who has believed our message? And to whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? I want you to go now. And we're going to compare the New Testament with the Old Testament. Some quick scriptures. We went over these last week. But I want you to go to Romans chapter 10 and verse 16. And as Jeremy says on Wednesday, we're going to do a uh, quick Bible drill here. Romans 10, 16. Say yes when you got it. Now remember what we just read. The King James says he was bruised for our iniquity. He was a man of sorrow. So. Romans ten sixteen, It says, but not everyone. Now remember, he was despised and rejected of men. We turned the other way. The world is full of people today that turn the other way when it comes to Jesus. Uh, I, I keep on referencing uh, what Jeremy's been teaching on Wednesday because there's such a richness and I've been uh, learning over it. People will get on TV and they'll always say, well, I want to thank God or I want to thank this or I want to thank that. And he brought out the point, well, who are we really thanking if we just thank God? And very few of them will put the name Jesus along with their thanking. But we need to thank the one who saved our soul, who bore our iniquity, who canceled out our rebellion. We have a Savior today that canceled out our rebellion. He's just not a nameless God. He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So it says here, but not everyone welcomed the good news. Or who has believed our report? For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? 500 years, he started asking the question. And we're 2,000 years down the road, and the question is still being asked. Who believes our message? Who believes our report? This room is full of preachers right now. You don't have to stand in a, in a pulpit to proclaim the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord's powerful no matter where you use it. We just have to believe the message. He said, I'll make you witnesses. My witnesses in Judea and Samaria and all of the extent of the earth. Just think about that a minute. We've been endued with power from on high. Who believes today that when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, that great power was unleashed into the lives of God's disciples? And today that same power is available to each one of us. But you have to believe the message first. I believe in the Holy Ghost. How many of you in here believe in the Holy Ghost? How many of you know that the Holy Ghost gives us power? How many of you know that that the Holy Ghost cancels out a spirit of fear and gives us a spirit of power and love and a sound mind? 
How many of you believe that with his stripes we are healed? How many of you believe that he was despised and rejected? But God's given him a place of honor. And that place of honor today is that he sits on the right hand of the Father and he makes intercession for Jeff and for Rick. He makes intercession for Tanya and for Lonnie. He's been high and exalted and lifted up and his glory will fill the temple and his glory will fill our homes if we'll allow it to. We got to believe in the good news. Isaiah says, who believes our message? Well, Romans ten sixteen, Paul said, not everyone believes the good news. Oh, <laughs> For verse 17, faith comes by listening to this message of good news, the good news about Christ. Everything we just read in Psalm 53 is the good news about Christ. It hasn't changed. It's still the same message. That's why we got to keep our focus on Him. The author and finisher of our faith. He's God. He will always be God. He will always be God's Son. And nothing new that comes by revelation will deny that fact. John 12, 38, real quick. If you were here last week, we're just going to... There was quite a few out last week, and we're going to let them catch up, and I'm not going to preach forever. John chapter 12 and verse 38. Again, you read the Old Testament. Now, this is the New Testament. The completion of the promises of the prophecies. Hallelujah. Look what it says here. Well, let's go back to verse 37. Sorry, Rebecca. You know how it is. But she's on it. But despite all the miraculous signs he had done, most of the people did not believe in him. This is exactly what who? Isaiah, the prophet, had predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom will the Lord reveal his saving power? Well, let me ask that question right now, 2,000 years later, 2,500 years later. Whom will the Lord reveal his saving power to? Has he revealed it to you today? Is there any doubt that you're saved today? Have you given your heart to Jesus and erased every doubt? You say, but I've sinned since I've become a Christian. Well, that's when First John kicks in. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of what? All unrighteousness. Sin is unrighteousness whether you're saved or not saved. But being saved has the advantage of that we have an advocate with the Father who makes intercession for us. Big difference there. Our sin cannot... In First John it says, if you sin. In other words, we don't get into a pattern of sin. We may sin, but we don't practice sin. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that when you get off the track a little bit, the Holy Spirit will well up inside of you? He just wells up. He just springs up. And he's got, we got a, a warning system built into us. And it says, who has believed our message? Listen, I've been saved since 1977 and I've done things that I'm not real proud of like everybody else in this room. But I'm excited that he bore my sin. He bore my rebellion. I like how it says rebellion in there. Any rebels in here? He's got the cure for rebellion. He said rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. It's worse or equal to the sin of witchcraft. And we get all worked up if we see somebody dabbling in witchcraft or 
pronouncing spell. Well, he said rebellion is worse. Wow, think about that for a minute. He bore our rebellion. He said, I'll cancel out their rebellion. I got to move on. I'm not even to the scripture yet. John 12, 38. Who has believed our message? Same questions being asked today. Go to Hebrews 4.2 real quick. Hebrews 4.2. Wow. Well, 4.1 will work good too, Rebecca. Thank you. God's promise. What's God's promise? How many of you believe that he went through Isaiah to reveal a promise to the children of Israel? You know what? They rejected him. They turned their back. They didn't notice him as he walked by. But the bottom line is one day they're going to see him. Think about that. Then it'll be complete. Then the Jews and the Gentiles become what? One new man. That's why I see the news media all the time ask, well, why do evangelical Christians have such a love for Israel? Because we're part of that family. That's why. See, they don't understand that. People that are not saved don't understand. They don't believe the message. Well, why do you guys care who runs Israel? Why do you guys care what happens over there? Because everything that God promised centered upon Israel and that temple mount there. And the biggest promise that he made to us is that we will have eternal life, but then you factor in that one day he's going to descend upon the Mount of Olives and a great earthquake is going to... No wonder it needs to be focused on that right there. And I can see all the news organizations saying, well, we got about 100 million people that just appeared, disappeared somewhere. Where'd they go? I'm sure that they'll have some kind of excuse for what happened to Jeremy. On all of us. I'd... I don't want to be around to see him explain it, but I'd like to be around to see him explain it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They can turn it into anything that they want, but they're denying the message. And they can scramble around down here and say, well, we got an explanation. We got this. We got that. We got a virus going around right now. People are very afraid of that virus, and they should be. But I believe in the Lord's protection for his people. I'll go there first. You have to remember in the news media, there's always a, a, a built-in outrage or chaotic scene with everything that happens. They can turn, I stub my toe into a chaotic thing if they want to. I got to get going. Hebrews 4, 4, 1 says, God's promise of entering into his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with the fear that some of you might fail to get there. For this good news that God has prepared a place of rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't believe what God told them. For only we who believe can enter his place of rest. And all those who don't believe, God said, in my anger, I will make a vow. They will never enter my place of rest. Now you say, well, that's pretty harsh, God. I think God's given us all plenty of time. You know, I kind of felt sorry when I was a new Christian for everybody that uh, went away in the flood. But then I read that it took Noah 125 years to build the ark. That's plenty of time to make up your mind, folks. 
It's plenty of time for all of us to make. God is long-suffering. You know, I was reading last night in Luke where he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You all know that great chapter. To proclaim the favor of the Lord. But then I never saw this before. I was reading one uh, commentary and the guy said, We all know he went into the synagogue to read that. (laughs) And when he claims to be God, everything breaks loose. But it says, to proclaim unto you that you are now in a time of God's favor. And it says he rolls up the scroll and hands it back. And they were all shocked. But then the part we don't quote, which is just as important, is when he says, and also the anger of the Lord will accompany the favor of the Lord. So I have a lot of people debate me about if God's love, how come this? The favor of the Lord will also reveal the anger of the Lord. His favor comes first, but his anger comes with it. Amen? Everybody agree? Well, if you don't agree with it, that's what I read, okay? Now... Go to Psalm 50, or Isaiah back, 53.3, and we're going to hurry through this. 53.3 says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with bitterest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way when he went by. And he was despised, and we did not care. Go to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18. Remember now, we're seeing the agreement between New Testament and Old Testament, the fulfillment, not the, well, the agreement and the fulfillment. Look at Luke, chapter 18, verse 31. Everybody there, say, I'm there. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem. We're all, what? All the predictions... All the prophecies of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. Isn't this amazing how this all matches up? Some people say, well, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. We live in the New Testament. we got to know what the New Testament is anchored to, that God keeps His promises. If He only started keeping His promises when the New Testament started, then we're all in trouble because He fulfills all these promises. He said, I'll never destroy the world again by water. The next time is going to be by fire. Back then, we couldn't imagine the whole earth being destroyed by fire, but now we can, can't we? I don't know how it's going to take place, but look what he said here. As you know, we're going to Jerusalem. And that's what Isaiah 53.3 was talking about. He will be handed over to who? The Romans. And he will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. This is the Lord quoting Isaiah directly. Look at this. Keep going. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But what? On the third day, he did what? He arose. There's a movement nowadays, even in some uh, mainline churches and Protestant churches, to deny the resurrection. Well, without the resurrection, we have no hope today. We have a dead Christ, just like some of the religions keep him dead. But my God's alive today. My God is alive. And he said, boys, this is what's going to happen. 
You know, when we have people that are suffering from illnesses and if we could fix it, wouldn't every one of you in here fix it and go lay hands on somebody? Well, that day's coming. Hold on. Hold on. The day's coming. Are we ready to be used with signs and wonders? I think God's preparing his people to operate in signs and wonders. I can't explain why it's not going on now, but my Bible tells me in the last days we're going to see two witnesses. We're going to see things appear that are described in the book of Revelation that we can't even comprehend. John couldn't comprehend it because 2,000 years ago, who knew what a jet fighter was? But some of the descriptions in Revelation point to just exactly the mechanisms and the things that we have today. They point right to it. His promises are going to come true. Look, wow. But on the third day, he will rise again. That's a promise we have. Fulfillment of Scripture. That's a promise. That's, That's something we're still waiting on. How many of you believe that he's coming back for you? I believe that. Paul said if there's no resurrection, then we're miserable people because we're believing in something. You know, every other God is dead. Man should know through history, humanism erects their own God. They always have something. That God asked the question in the Old Testament. They can't see. They can't hear. Why do you guys listen to them? Why do you think that they have any power? Listen, if you can make it, if a human can make a God with his hands, that's not a God. Because we have a God that made us with his hands. He formed man out of the dust of the earth, not the other way around. And it says he breathed life into them. These other gods don't get life breathed into them. And if you breathe into them, they don't respond. You mess with God, you get your arms tore off when you're an idol. And the humanists come back in and they set up the next idol. Just like the Dagon, Dagon, that guy, that dead guy, that Dagon. He was a god. He was a god of Baal. And they try to sit him in God's house. Made with man's hands instead of made with God's hands. Knocked him over. They come in and set him back up. Set him, well, we, that, we must have put him on a slippery place or something. He fell down. So they tried it again. And guess what happened again? I am the Lord thy God. Y'all have no other gods before me. Wow. Go to John 1, 10. It's real close. Just flip over a couple pages. 1, 10. I got to find it too here. Oh, go, yeah, look at this. This fulfills what we just read in Isaiah, in, specifically in verse 53, or 53, 3. And it says this, he came into the world, what's it say, that he created, I got 10 minutes, so stay with me, into the world that, who created it? He created. Everything we walk on right now, he created. Who hung the stars in the sky? Who hung the earth on its rotation? Who was in charge of all that? He asked Job that. He said, Job, 
were you around when I did this or did that or did this or did that? Job said, well, not really, but I've got this complaint. Just like us today, just like the world today, and God looks at us with the same love. I think he asked Job that with love. He said, were you around when I did this? Were you here? See, it takes faith takes faith that he's the one and only God. And his wife even said to him, Job, this is a mess you've got us all into now. We've lost our kids. We've lost our cattle. We've lost this. We've lost that. So curse God and die. And nothing against women, but Job looked at her. Could have been reversed. I don't care. However you want to put it. And said, you talk like a foolish woman. Though he slay me, yet will trust him. Why? Because he's the one that made everything. And he made up a whole new batch for Job. Of cattle and lands and people and everything. But through his calamity, he started praying for his... And it took him like 30-some chapters to start praying for his enemies. Or start praying for those that had abused him. But the Bible says that he, God turned his favor upon him when he began to pray for those. That, that's why we still pray. Anybody ever been wounded or harmed in here? Anybody ever feel like not praying because you've been just abused and knocked around and, well, you just keep praying. Anybody in here has just been overwhelmed by your sin and think, how did I do that? And you just don't even feel like, you feel like you pray and it just goes up to the ceiling and bounces right back down on you and the devil laughs at you and says, there's nobody listening to you up there. There's nobody that can carry your burdens. There's nobody that can match your grief. There's no God big enough to match your grief or overcome your grief. It says we become overcomers. We are more than conquerors. Through who? Who did what? What did he do? Gave his life for us. All right, John, I got to get here. Look what it says. Although the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him when he came. I get to thinking many times about when Jesus walked through one village, some people saw him and some people didn't even bother. And Isaiah said, people don't even care sometimes. You ever try to witness to somebody that doesn't care? Well, the day will come when we all care. said we turned our back on him. We didn't recognize him. The Jewish people to this day do not recognize him as Savior. But I'll tell you what, they pray for Messiah to come. Think about that. And you say, well, what's that mean? Well, it means that God gives us all multiple chances. (laughs) He loves us. And once we get a revelation, there's no turning back, is there? Well, come on. Even in his own land, remember, fulfillment of prophecy, even in his own land and among his people, he was not accepted. Exactly what Isaiah said. But to all who believed, say all, all, believed him and accepted him. Now, what do we do today, 2,000 years later, that's different from what they did back then? Confess the Lord Jesus Christ with your mouth and you shall be what? Saved. Saved. God made a way. And he says, but to those who believed, any believers, and accepted him, 
He gave the what? The right. Hallelujah. Become children of God. I don't know that much about the birth process, but I know there's a lot of pain involved and there's a lot of suffering involved. I'll never experience what it means to give birth to somebody. And men are usually very unsympathetic while it's going on. Aren't they? Can I get an amen? Because they don't understand it. If you don't understand something, you don't understand. But I, you know, there's a water breaking. I do know that much. There's usually blood that is shed. There's suffering. But he took all of our suffering to birth the kingdom of God. That's why we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's suffering involved. Now, did we suffer? We suffered in our sin. We were lost in darkness, but it says he bore our iniquity. He bore it. They're reborn. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from who? From God. Hallelujah. Now, we're going to go to the Psalms real quick, and I'm almost done here. Go to Psalm 16. Remember now, keep in mind, we're confirming what Isaiah said. You say, how can you get that much out of one verse? Well, the Holy Spirit has to help. Here we go. Psalm 16. Tell me when you're there. Let me see here. I got to get there too. Now, this is a prophetic psalm. Who wrote the psalms? Who? Come on, hang with me now. David wrote the psalm, most of them anyhow, okay? All right? David's suffering and his life was a model of Jesus. David pointed people toward the true God. Now, was was he a man of passion and a man of, of failure? Yes, he was. But he was after God's heart. And look what it says here in, in, in this prophetic psalm. Verse 10. 1610. Sorry, Rebecca. This, this is David speaking. For you will not leave my soul among the dead. That's what was prophesied by Isaiah. Or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. All these other gods have rotted in the grave. I don't believe that Muhammad took a heavenly horse ride in the middle of the night and ended up where a billion people worship him now. I don't believe that happened because when you believe stuff like that, that negates the power of the gospel. And as Jeremy has said, that's just a promotion of an antichrist spirit is what it is. You can claim all kinds of dreams and vision, but you know what they do? By accepting the tenets of Islam, and we respect them, we're, we're, we're meant to love them, but by accepting that, you know what it is again? It's a breakdown of who God is and who the Savior is. It's not Muhammad. It's not a church. There are some people that read the book of Revelation that say, the, the book of Revelation is all about a certain body or a certain way that people I don't know all that, but I know that anything that turns away this prophecy or tries to make it null and void is anti-Christ and it's anti-God, and we don't need to believe it. Amen? God said he would not, and guess what? Jesus didn't rot in the grave. 
Lazarus took sick. And Jesus was very close to Martha and Mary and Lazarus. It was one of his favorite places to hang out in this little town of Bethany, not too far from the Mount of Olives. He hung out there a lot. They were hospitable to him. They loved him. They believed him. But Lazarus took sick, and he died. And Jesus, they said, Jesus, you got to come and see him. And he said, my time's not yet. Let me say something about timing. There's a lot of things that are appropriate or inappropriate in a body. But one thing that we need to learn from the Savior is timing. Just because something is acceptable to do, we got to make sure it's the right timing in the Holy Ghost or it doesn't work. That's just a little side thought I wanted to give you. Timing means a lot. Jesus knew. He said, I'm not going up yet. And they said, well, why aren't you, why aren't you going up? He said, Lazarus, he said, he's just sleeping. He's just resting. And Jesus gets to the tomb and he said, show me where they laid him. <laughs> this is an example of what's going to happen during the rapture. <laughs> or when, when the Lord comes back, show me where they laid Lonnie. Show me where they laid. He don't have to know. He knows already. But just for the crowd and just that people would believe, he said, show me where they laid him. And he said, roll back the stone. And they said, Lord, he's been rotten in the grave. I'm adding that. But they said, he stinks by now because he's been in that grave. I don't care how much stink that you had on you before you came to the Lord. We were, some of us were rotten to the core. But when Jesus speaks into that life of darkness and lostness and says, Lazarus, come forth, Dan, come forth, then we're cleansed. And yes, we did stink, but we smell good now. They were up here smelling something around after worship. And I thought, what is that stuff? You still got that with you? What is that? Lavender. That's appropriate that you brought that today. We weren't planning on that, were we? Anybody stinking here? I'm spraying myself. (laughs) You will not leave his soul to rot in the grave. You know, the sweetest smelling thing that ever happened to mankind was salvation. Here, you probably need a little bit of that. It'll calm you down. I don't know if he come out of that tomb smelling like lavender, but he didn't smell like rot because he lived again. And just to show you how the humanists work or the religious sometimes, they got mad at Lazarus for being raised from the dead. And it wasn't because they didn't like Lazarus, but it was because who did this? Jesus. He must be the Messiah. And that roused the devil up and it roused humanists up and religious people up. I better give this back. Nothing but trouble coming here. Here, let me spray. There you go. All right, I'm finishing up. You'll not leave his soul in the grave. That's a prophetic utterance. From David. Now, the next one I want you to go to is Psalm 22. I promise I'm getting done. If you need to go, go, but I got to get this out because Psalm 22 is a prophetic psalm. 16 through 18, Rebecca, thank you. 
This is what happened on the cross. Think about this. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. This is prophetic now. Okay? Remember, prophetic. My enemy, an evil gang closes in on me. You know, I never experienced the power of, and, and we can't even imagine it had to be beyond that. But in that Passion of the Christ movie, when you watch that, I mean, that was such a realistic, I think. I think the anointing of the Holy Spirit was on that movie. I mean, you know, that's one thing that came out in a movie that was actually worth something. It showed me the agony that he went through, and it agrees with what Isaiah was prophesying about the Savior. But it says, they surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. What does it say here? Remember, this is the Psalms, David, not just Isaiah, but David also. Everything in the Old Testament points to the coming of the Messiah. They have pierced my hands and feet. Did they do that to David? I don't read where that happened. I know he was chased down. But the thing is, prophetically, he's writing, they're going to pierce his hands and feet. The one that comes out of my line, my lineage, the promised Messiah. Go ahead. I count all my bones. I owe this one to Jeremy. I knew it, but he magnified it on Wednesday. It was the Sabbath. And they wanted to make sure that Jesus was off the cross so that they could observe their religious holiday. Think about this a minute. When Isaiah said they turned their backs on him, they didn't recognize who he was, and they didn't care. And But... They wanted to get him down off the cross because it was three in the afternoon and the Sabbath starts at sundown. So they were more worried about their religious observances than they were the very Savior of the world. And the Roman execution was hung them up on a cross. They had their hands and feet pierced. But normally they didn't die quick enough. Some of them hang there two days, three days. It was rare what happened to Jesus. He died quickly. And I think it had to do with carrying all the sin of the world on him. What a load. But what they would do is to hurry things along because they couldn't defile themselves with a rotten body. Well, see, they should have known his soul would not, his, his corpse, his body would not rot in the grave. But they would take a mallet and they would come by and break their knees or break their legs so that they couldn't take the pressure off from suffocation. But when they came to Jesus, they found out that he was already dead. Think about this a minute. It said, and then he says, I count all my bones. And the scripture said, not one of his bones were broken, but he was pierced. He was a rarity at that time where they didn't have to come and break your legs after a certain time. Think about that. Fulfillment of scripture. He says, my enemies stare at me and gloat. Remember the mocking that went on when he was on the cross? He saved others. Now let him save himself. If you're the son of God, come down off that cross. Save yourself and us too. I'm almost done. Go to the next verse. 
They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Anybody remember reading that somewhere in the scripture? <laughs> Even preaching this, I, I, I have a hard time sometimes remembering what side of this we're on. Because I believe in the prophetic, but we're so fortunate to stand on this side of the prophetic. Go to Matt, Matt, last scripture, I promise, Matthew 27. Hallelujah. I think you guys are starting to believe in Isaiah 53.3, right? Hallelujah. Last one, I promise. Matthew 27. And where is it? There it is. And go to verse 35. I'm trying to find it here. I'll get it in a minute. Look what it says here. Come on, Lonnie. Get there. I know. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes. That seems like a minor detail in the grand scale of the earth and things that go on. Seems like such a minute little bit of information. But it shows you how important prophecy is, how God keeps these promises, that it would be prophesied by David that they would part his garments and throw dice. And we see the fulfillment of Scripture. You know what happened not too long after this? Jesus said, it is what was finished. The atonement for our sin, but also the fulfillment of Scripture. That's what happened. And man still struggle with that today. And you say, well, that's a minute detail. Well, to me, it's a real big detail when I can realize that no matter what people say about this book or Christians or no matter what, God keeps his word until his last breath. And he won't take his last breath again because he already did that. And he's moving on to the next thing now. And when he comes back, it says his breath is going to destroy a whole bunch of stuff. Ah, okay. Yeah. That's Isaiah 53.3. Do you believe today? Is he your Lord and Savior? Is he the only God? Is he the hope of mankind? Is he our healer? Is he our righteousness? Hallelujah. Everybody keep up with this? Is there anybody that came in here today not believing this? Well, I hope you believe it now because we've made it out of the Old Testament, New Testament. It got through me to get to you. And it still works. All those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how do you call upon the name of the Lord? By hearing the good news. Who has believed our message?